singing in the kitchen. You are listening to Redeemer Radio, a weekly conversation connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the questions and issues of everyday life. Hosted by the leaders of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. We are excited to keep this podcast going. we got a, a great episode for you today. Um, I'm joined again by Pastor Dan and Sean, uh, our, our student ministries coordinator. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing really well. Yeah. Thanks Good. for having us. Oh, man. All right. We, uh, our series is called, this season is called Life Together, Thoughts and Stories on Church as Family. So last week we were a little more theoretical, um, talking about just our family identity, that we, um, how, we see, how we see this in the Bible, that we are, should see ourselves as a family, as a church. Um, today's episode is called Family Gatherings. We're going to talk about the importance of gathering as the church family, both corporately for worship as well as in smaller groups. So do you guys see any relevance for this topic, especially in our moment we're in? Yeah, I, I think um, th- this is especially relevant right now as we're uh, faced with so many reasons potentially not to, to gather and not yeah. to gather in worship. So to, to slow down and really consider what God's word has to say um, about corporate worship and the, and the value of it, but also as you know, we'll get into some more of the specifics, but yeah, right, right now the temptation is definitely to kind of stay at home, be, stay away from, from big gatherings. But as we see in, in God's word, uh, this is really what he intended is for us to worship uh, corporately. So it has a, a huge relevance to, to right now, this moment. Yeah. I think too, just in this moment, we're, all more anxious and, and tired and weary and uh, and family is there to help us in that and one of the ways god has given us this regular time together like family meals once a week he's calling us to be together as a family and i think that is desperately needed right now uh, you know we did talk about the fact as we're approaching this uh, this isn't an episode to make you feel guilty and to get you to come back into in-person worship. So I want to take that fear away right now. Um, but what it is, is really just thinking through what God does for us in worship. And so again, we want you to be very wise and do what you and your family need to in the midst of this time. However, if you're just getting comfortable staying home and like worshiping in your pajamas and sipping on your coffee, or you've just gotten out of the habit uh, we would want you to reconsider and say, what am I missing by being together? So, again, you need to make the right decision in faith before the Lord, but hopefully this will encourage us with the gift of worship that God's given us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dan, do you mind praying for us as we dive into this? Sure. Father, thank you that we have an opportunity to think about this gift that you have given your people through the ages and a gift that has been taken in some ways from us as we're not able to to worship as we are used to. Uh, But thank you that you've provided uh, opportunities and different ways for us to do that. And Lord, as we discuss this, encourage us uh, by your word. Help us to delight in you as we talk about this, but also challenge us. Uh, Help us to see the, the great gift that worship is for us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Man, so in preparation for this episode, we read a couple things that 
we will include on the show notes for you if you want to dive a little deeper. But one of them was a chapter um, in a book by John Piper. It's a book on preaching, but his first chapter is about corporate worship, kind of setting the context for preaching. And, and we found it helpful in, in many ways. So we want to just um, share some of the highlights from that chapter that, that help us think about corporate worship um, and, and the importance of it. Um, so John Piper, he focuses, one of the things he does is he, he pulls out Psalm 147, and there's this word fitting in Psalm 147 that he talks about. So, Sean, I, I want to see if you could um, help us see what, what is he getting at and what implications does he draw out from that word fitting in Psalm 147. Yeah, so Psalm 147 in verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. And what Piper does here in this chapter is he really brings out this word fitting and helps us understand it a little bit more. He adds a little context to it. He says that the word that's translated fitting actually means beautiful or lovely and and not just in the physical sense. He said it, it moves beyond the physical sense to this idea of moral beauty. Uh, he says, what is ultimate unseen moral beauty except that something is just as it should be. It fits with ultimate reality. So what he's doing here is he's sharing uh, these words from the psalmist uh, and basically saying that God has designed us to be uh, to be uh, his creation that worships him. It fits with what he has intended uh, for his creation. Um, and so it's really helpful to see that word kind of defined and, and translated um, because it shows us that God truly has intended us uh, not just to uh, um, not just to be here kind of plodding along, but to be in worship of him. Um, and so that was really helpful. I've never really been able to put, uh, you know, when, in my best moments on Sunday mornings, when I feel, when I, whatever that feeling is that you get from just being at rest, at ease, and feeling like you are home, even sometimes when you're worshiping on Sunday mornings, I've never really been able to put uh, thoughts to, to some of those feelings that I've had. But this makes sense. It is fitting. It is um, in line with the way he's made us to be. And yes, we're, we're commanded to worship, but beyond that, it just makes sense uh, that we would do so, and, and this, it's how we were wired, it's how we were, how we were made. Um, and, and, he, and he goes on and he points out that if, we were, if it was fitting in Old Testament times, it's, if it, it was fitting for Israel to, wow. to worship their God, well, how much more is it fitting for us in, in the time after Jesus? Uh, we have a fuller picture of the story, we have this fuller sense of um, not only the past, the present, but also the future, the future hope. Yeah. Um, you know, it's even more fitting for us to continue in that in that same uh, style of worship. You know, just being in corporate worship of our God. Yeah. So he he starts there, just kind of laying that out, and then he the rest of the chapter kind of explains more of what is so fitting about corporate worship, and then he starts with how much glory God gets from our corporate worship. And I love this point. I hadn't really given it a ton of thought before, and he's not minimizing our personal worship. Um, where God gets much glory, but he actually argues, and I, I think correctly from the Bible, that God gets even more glory um, from corporate worship, where um, all of his his children from all their different backgrounds, um, different preferences in life come together and, and are unified around him and around praising him. And I think about, you know, the chief end of man, the first question in, the, in our, one of our catechisms is, mm-hmm. chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. And, and if that's our chief end, then you know, how much encouragement does that give us towards, you know, getting excited about being together for worship to give God that much glory? Um, then he, he, he spends a lot of time pulling these different metaphors for the church in the New Testament to kind of reinforce the importance of gather worship. So, Dan, can you speak to that? 
Yeah, there's several images that Paul uses in particular. And to your point, they're really all about uh, a corporate nature. I mean, even coming to God, our Father, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, is this idea of coming as the people of God through the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he uses different images. The ones I want to focus on are from Ephesians. We've looked at them before, uh, where he uses the the building, the body, and the bride. And that as uh, being the body of Christ, we're really called to this life of service. Part of that being worship together. Yeah. Uh, the building is that we're called to a life of worship. It's the temple imagery. I'll read from Ephesians 2 here in a second. And then uh, the bride you know, that Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, mm-hmm. not individuals, not this individual love affair with with Christ. It's the, the church as a whole. And again, we often, I think, focus on the individual and the personal making it private when it's really, yes, we have this personal relationship with the living God, but it's in the context of the family, like we talked about last week, though mm-hmm. it's so important. But I I want to read from Ephesians 2 because it has a couple images in there. He says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's the family language. We're part of the people of God, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Again, the emphasis on the revelation of God's word, the Bible, from the prophets, from the apostles, teaching us about Jesus, who is the foundation of everything in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So again, this image of the temple, we're made to worship. We're supposed to be in his presence. And uh, Peter picks that imagery up too in the passage that really for me has been fundamental in my understanding of the church. And it's where he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So there's that temple worship language again a holy nation and that nation that word there is is ethnos so it's again picture of jew and greek together so this uh, multi-ethnic church Mm -hmm. a people for his own possession that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and his marvelous light once you weren't a people but now you're god's people again the family image that we belong Uh, so all those things really push us to see that the way we, one of the primary ways we glorify God is together mm-hmm. in that image. And uh, so I think those have been really helpful to me to, to kind of reflect on and, and realize it's not just me and Jesus, it's me and his church mm-hmm. as we worship the Father through the work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. That's great. Yeah, and uh, another uh, article we read was by a guy named Jonathan Lehman talking about gathered worship. And he starts out, just noticing and kind of drawing some implications out of the fact that in some countries where Christians are persecuted, um, it's, it's the assembling, it's the gathering of Christians, um, which is illegal. Um, so it, it appears as if it's, there's something about gathered worship that's a threat to, um, some governments. So, you know, what does that say about gathered worship? Uh, Sean, if you could speak to that. Yeah, well, it's interesting in, in his article, Jonathan Lehman, he really plays out a scenario of a, sort of a hypothetical government or government leader that's hostile to the Christian faith. Um, and really, it's the, the, at the heart of that is uh, that he's threatened by the outward practice of following Jesus as king and gathering to praise God together in groups. 
He says that uh, the threat to a hostile government or power-hungry leader is primarily the message that Jesus is Lord and allegiance belongs to him instead of earthly rulers and authorities. Um, the hypothetical ruler may see church gatherings as, you know, training insurrectionists and separatists that pose a threat to our government, you know, all the power that we've amassed and all of uh, these people that are, that are looking to us and, and needing us. Um, it, it poses a threat to that. Uh, what this leader gets wrong in this scenario is that Jesus wasn't actually sent to, you know, overthrow Caesar, to achieve political gain for his disciples. Um, that's not what Jesus, that's not what the purpose of Jesus was. Uh, but he is right that, you know, this hypothetical leader is right to assume that there is an invasion of another kind of kingdom. Uh, Lehman says uh, these gatherings represented the in invasion of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and I think gathered worship, it, it brings God glory because it's a, it's this outward sign of this allegiance uh, to, to, to Jesus as king, not to our particular government ruler uh, as king. And I know Dan has a um, a really cool example of of, um, of a pastor who... that we're sort of connected with in China that has just displayed this extraordinary faith in the face of um, a government that is opposed to Christians gathering in larger groups. Yeah, many of you have been praying with us for Pastor Wang Yi of Early Rain Church, and he was a faithful preacher of the gospel, and they arrested him, they've imprisoned him, because he's continued to cause the church to meet, and the church has been arresting pastors, elders, uh, disrupting mom's Bible studies, and uh, it's a reality, and they are threatened mm -hmm. by the church meeting. They don't understand that they can say Jesus is king and actually makes them better citizens, mm -hmm. uh, but they see him as a threat. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's not just abstract. That's real not only in China but other sure. countries around the world. And, and I think even... Uh, you know, as we gather corporately, um, even if we're living in a country like America where the Christian faith isn't, um, I don't know, isn't disrupted, like these gatherings aren't disrupted like they are in China. It's, it also sends a message, though, to um, a, a culture that is increasingly divided and, and moving away from sort of a Judeo-Christian society. It's actually a, a, an even better witness to, uh, to, to these people that we would keep gathering, the, the ones that are... Uh, skeptical about Christianity, whether, you know, why would a, a, a good God allow suffering to happen, allow pain to happen? Why would a good God not let me make my own choices about who I love or, or what, you know, all of these hot button topics. We are still a witness to the people around us, to some family members, close friends that we've maybe distanced from over some of these issues. We're still a witness as we gather and worship corporately um, and, and pray and just praise God for who he is. If we continue to do that, that is still being a faithful witness, even to a, a free society like ours. I still think it provides a powerful witness there as well. Yeah, I was really challenged by one persecuted believer who was exhorting Americans and said, in your freedom, do not give up what we will not sacrifice under persecution. So, mm, wow. you know, they're, they're willing to be persecuted for worship and to share their faith. Are we willing in our freedom to still worship and still proclaim Jesus because of the perceived risks that we have? Mm. Um, that was really challenging to me. Wow. Oh, that's really helpful and encouraging. <clears throat> uh, uh, Jonathan Lehman, he goes on, he, he really draws out this image of the embassy. He sees the gathered worship kind of like an embassy. Um, how is that so, Dan? Yeah, I mean, he was talking about the idea, you know, that the U.S. has embassies around the world as representations of the U.S. government. In fact, on that land is government soil authority. 
and that we as the citizens of heaven are extending the kingdom of God and our churches are that representation of that. And so as we live, as we worship, uh, we bear witness to the world. Mm-hmm. We're, we're saying this is who God is and this is what uh, his followers look like and should live. So, I mean, that puts a, a challenge to us, I think, to realize that people are looking at us and saying, okay, do they really believe, what do they yeah. believe about their God by how yeah. they live? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's been a really helpful metaphor for me to just help increase my sense of significance for gathered worship. <clears throat> so let's let's try and put some of this together and, and kind of um draw some more implications out. And I'll maybe ask it this way. What are people missing when they don't come to worship? Well, I, I know for, you know, it's been challenging uh, during times of COVID to not see the risks of attending worship and, and see it as something easy to cut from our schedule. Oh, this yeah. is this is an easy way to, to lessen our risk uh, yeah. at being exposed to the virus. And there's some wisdom there. And as we said earlier, we don't want to necessarily use this podcast to guilt anyone. Or but, but there was something I was talking about, you know, the way it fits earlier that we learned from Psalms. Uh, from, from Psalm 147, uh, there was something that was missing when, when we weren't attending worship regularly. Um, there was yeah. something that uh, there's, there's, there's a confidence you draw that I think is the work of the Spirit when you're praising God together, confessing God, uh, Jesus is King together. <clears throat> when we're singing songs unified uh, behind this one God who uh, continues to pursue his people. Um, so a lot of what we've already said, but I think we're missing the confidence that we that we can draw from God's people assembled together for corporate worship. And that's not by any of our own strength. In fact, when we worship corporately together, we're actually confessing our weakness and our need for God. And and in that weakness, I find I find incredible strength and in community. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, I think we're missing one, the, the horizontal connection, right? That. Yeah. One of the images is the body of Christ, and so people with different gifts and and abilities, and to sit there. Maybe you're coming on a day where you're discouraged, but to see someone who isn't and to hear them sing, mm. to realize you're not alone, to 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 delight. I mean, there's something that's beautiful about your own time with the Lord, but mm. when you gather and you hear other people singing with you, confessing with you, praying with you, uh, it, it it I think for me it particularly helps me to to look to the Lord more than to myself. Like even in my own personal worship, it's still often kind of looking at me and my circumstances. And yet when I'm with the gathered people, it, wow. it gives yeah. life and perspective that I desperately need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a couple of things that come to my mind on top of that is Psalm 73, uh, an incredible Psalm. And the first half of the Psalm, the Psalmist is just kind of wandering. He, he's discouraged. He's looking at the people uh, who don't belong to God and how much they're thriving um, and how much he's struggling. Um, and he's looking at that. And then the the turn point of the psalm is halfway through where he goes into the gathered worship. And it's in doing that that God uses that to really um, help his heart be realigned and to um, begin to see the glory of God and um just uh, how satisfied he is in God. And then the rest of the Psalm, you just see how encouraged his heart is, no matter what is going on around him. Um, he's in this place of worship. Um, and I think that just, you know, of many things, just gives such a, a highlight to the importance and the effectiveness of corporate worship for us. And 
Dan was mentioned this a little bit, but you know, John Piper gets into in his chapter of just you know the importance of singing to each other. That's there's a several times in the New Testament where the Bible is talking about how we need to be not only just encouraging one another, but singing to each other. Mm. And um, I don't know about you, but I, it's not something I really do one on one with someone, or maybe <laughs> even in a small group as much. But uh, but there's something beautiful about corporate worship where um, we're able to sing. Um, not only to God, but to each other. Yeah. Uh, in one of my churches, not this one, so I'm not calling anybody out. There was a, a man who had come about halfway through the service. And for a while, I just thought maybe it was work or something. And then I, I asked him, like, tell me why you come in about partway through the service. He said, well, I'm just coming to hear the sermon. I'm coming for the real worship. Wow. And, you know, I think we can either talk about music as worship or preaching as worship, but all of it is worship. Yeah. You know, and, and those passages from Ephesians and Colossians are lived out as we sing together. Even Habakkuk 3 was written as a song for the church yeah. to be able to sing together, to lament, <clears throat> and then to move into a deep abiding trust as they find joy in the presence of God. So that, I think, is something else, too, that is done better corporately than individually. Yeah, absolutely. I heard something a while back. Um, I saw a quote. Where it, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna mess it up a little bit, but it was essentially, it said, um, I'm not gonna remember all the sermons I heard in my life, hardly any of them actually, um, but I'm also not gonna remember most of the meals that I ate in my life, but the meals that I ate kept me alive, and I'm still, I'm still going, and, and in the same way, maybe I don't remember everything from every sermon I heard, but, but those kept my heart going. Um, my heart was was fed by those. Um, to keep me moving forward in my faith, and I, you can you can apply that as well to just corporate worship, um, just the the soul our soul needs, um, just the, that renewing um, nourishment that comes from corporate worship. Um, and here's a peek behind the curtain for those of you who aren't in the building during the weeks when we're here at work. But oftentimes when Dan leaves his office, <laughs> he will he will wander down the hallway to refill his water cup or something like that. And I, he just slips into song through whistling, not singing necessarily through the hallways. But as he's whistling uh, a song, maybe a psalm or a, um, a hymn or something that is just, you know, then it, it, it actually helps me. It takes me maybe away from feeling stressed or um, like I'm not meeting a deadline or, some, you know, just something that was maybe distracting me and, and really re- actually helps me refocus as well. So Dan, you may not have known that I benefit from that, but you should keep, you know, keep, <laughs> keep your whistling going. All right. Well, hopefully it's not annoying. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and we haven't even talked about sacraments. We don't have time to get into that, but that's of course another important part of corporate worship where that's one of our central means of grace. Um, and, and corporate worship brings us that. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, if, if corporate worship is so important and, and, and I hope one of the things you're getting from this is we, we are all missing being able to um, have our normal Sunday morning rhythms. It's been such a gift to have the outdoor worship um, at the Hatcher's house, and, and we are so thankful for that. It's been so encouraging, I know, to, to, to many of us. Um, but all this to say is we, we are longing to be back um, to our, our normal routines. Um, and so thinking about Sunday worship, um, you know, one of the questions that comes up is, is what can we be doing to prepare ourselves better for Sunday morning worship? If you think about it, the, um, and this is coming from an article that I'll put in the show notes, uh, but, you know, the pastor prepares for his sermon, the worship team prepares for their leading of worship. 
um, what would it be like if, if the people um, in the congregation, in, in sitting in the seats, um, if, if corporate worship is so essential, shouldn't we also expect that, you know, our people to be preparing their hearts um, to, to have more, to get more out of the service and to make that event uh, more meaningful? I, I thought that was a great point. And so the author gives several examples. You can um, look at the article and read the rest of them. I'll just point out a couple. One of them, he says, be boring. And what he means is go to bed early on Saturday night or go to bed on time on Saturday night. Maybe stay up late Friday, but try to get to bed on time Saturday night to, to have a refreshing you know, night of rest, to, to have more energy for Sunday worship. Um, another one, he, he, he calls it media blackout. Try to refrain from... You know, looking at shows or um, you know screens on on Sunday morning to just try to keep your mind more focused. Those things are not bad in themselves, but they can kind of get our minds wandering and distracted. And, and it, he just says, safeguard your mental space on Sunday mornings to really focus on Sunday morning worship. Yeah, one of my elders in Alabama was a huge Auburn football fan. I mean, he lived and died by Auburn football. Had Auburn season tickets for decades. And he would not read the newspaper on Sunday morning. He wouldn't talk about or think about the game because he didn't want to, to distract him from worship, either get him flustered or just get his mind off the Lord. So I thought that was a, a really sweet example of a man who knew his own heart mm-hmm. and wanted to prepare himself to worship the Lord well. That's cool. Yeah. This one's for you, Sean. Another one they says is plan ahead. And he's talking about laying out your Sunday morning clothes on Saturday <laughs> night. So you don't have to change 10 times on Sunday morning before finding an outfit that fits well. Um, wow, I, I, feel, I feel exposed, Ross. I don't know why you targeted me on that one. I know. Even the reason you would use the word outfit is a little disturbing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it does help to Snapchat with Dan on Sunday mornings to make sure we're coordinating. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to clash. Yeah, we don't want to clash. So, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. on a serious note, when our girls were little, Debbie would set their clothes out at night. They would help them pick it out. It'd be laying out, both shoes would be there, everything would be ready so that on Sunday morning, it wouldn't be this frenetic search and fight, or less fights, about what to wear. And, you know, for her, because I was already up at the church building, that was a really important uh, help to her to make Sundays go a little more smoothly. That's actually really helpful. We have an 18-month-old right now, our daughter Lily. She is she has learned the word no, and she's learned when to use the word no, which is always. So um, you, maybe using some of those patterns ahead of time will be helpful and provide a less stressful morning on Sunday. That was really helpful. Yeah, super practical. All right, kind of shifting gears here. We've talked about family gatherings uh, more in the corporate worship, but we wanted to speak a little bit to um, another very important um rhythm in the life of our church is, is community groups and Bible studies and, and how these are also expressions of this idea of family gatherings. Uh, we're just going to camp on one passage, Hebrews 10. Um, we're going to look mostly at verses 24 and 25, but I wanted to, to bring the context into play and see how that informs the passage. So uh, I'm going to start at verses 19. Uh, Hebrews 10:19 says, Therefore, brothers, <clears throat> since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So let me just pause there. You know, I mean, it's kind of, the author is pretty clear, but one of you want to just briefly summarize, what is he saying there? Yeah, he's continuing to pick up on temple imagery. The curtain that was blocked people from going to the Holy of Holies that the high priest only went in once a year has been torn. 
and by that's by the work finished work of Jesus on the cross. So he's saying, because brothers and sisters, family of God, because of what our brothers done, we can go in with confidence and worship the living God. Uh, back to First Peter two, we are priests. We can go into His presence because of the work of Jesus. Yeah, so what do you think the implications of this are then? And uh, the author continues and he draws out three implications for uh, this reality that Jesus uh, has made for us. And 21 continuing, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he's saying, let us draw near. Uh, to Christ because of this work that he's done. And then another implication, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And so he's talking about because this is so sure, let's hold fast to it. Let's not waver. Then he makes one more implication in 24 and 25. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what do you guys think? I mean, put, put verses 24 and 25 in, 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 in context. You know, how does, how, is he, how does this fit in the flow of his thought? Yeah, because of the finished work of Jesus, again, some gospel grammar, the indicative, the statement of truth, he then from that truth gives us commands. And so we're called to draw near to him because we're able, we've been forgiven. Uh, we're called to hold fast to this confession. It doesn't mean confession of sin. It means this profession of our faith of who, what Jesus has done for us. And one of the ways I think we do that is by helping each other. One of the things that's so discouraging to me at times as a pastor is when people need to be with others the most, when they need to be in the presence of God, is usually when they think, you know, I'm just not going to go to worship today. And I've been there, like when you're discouraged yeah, and you're too. down and like, I, I just I just can't make it. And that's exactly where we need to be. Yeah. And so we need other people to draw us in, to pull us with them, to, to grab us by the hand. And it's so important, uh, I think, to, to be conscious of who's there and who's not, that we know our community groups, our small groups, our friends, and say, hey, we missed you. How are you doing? Let, I hope, look forward to seeing you next week because uh, worship is so vital to our life as a family. And we can do this because the author says it in right here in the passage. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So when we do need to be with people, when we need to be encouraged by the body of Christ, we can come knowing that it was never about our ability to have it all together anyway. Um, and, and the work of Jesus and uh, the righteousness that he gives us means that we can we no longer have to rely on ourselves. And so, that was, yeah, it was a great point, Dan. Yeah, yeah that's great. I've got probably the hardest question uh, of the day now. Uh, I'm kind of zeroing in on verse 25. Dan and Sean, are there any reasons you can think of that Christians might neglect to meet together? <laughs> I know it's a hard one, Ross. I can think of, oh, about a million of reasons to, to use to, to not meet together for sure. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I think discouragement is one. Yeah. I think right now there's some who aren't meeting because of fear of the mm -hmm. virus. Yeah. And I think for some that's legitimate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, they need to be wise and discerning. Uh, I think busyness. I think uh, the lives and activities of our family and our children, work, uh, even 
uh, our hobbies can often all interrupt. I mean, there's a, just a thousand ways that we can get distracted from coming to worship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it could it could come from you know things that we could easily identify as as bad things, but it also can you know good things that God has given us we can misuse and use as a reason to to miss as well. Um, we haven't had to struggle with this yet, but I can't imagine the if you know playing a sport and being part of a team means having to make a decision on a Sunday morning as to whether you go to your soccer game or whether you come to corporate worship. I mean that's that's totally something that our people are, are wrestling with. I've heard that they that they're wrestling with the, those yeah. kinds of things, and so yeah, what, the struggle's yeah. real. Yeah, the struggle is real. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, those are all definitely um, several of the things that that can cause us to to neglect to meet. One that came to mind for me is just the the reality of consumerism mm. um, that we see around us. That I know I engage in in, the, in you know being out in the world, but. It also comes in the church, and, and Dan was kind of speaking of this earlier, but, you know, we can, especially thinking about small groups, we can have this mindset and this attitude is, what what is it going to do for me? Is it going to, you know, do a lot for me? Am I going to get a lot of life from it? And it's not entirely wrong to ask those questions. These groups should be um, engaged in a way that are bringing life um, and flourishing to our spiritual lives. <clears throat> But I, but I think we forget, and I know I forget to ask the, the maybe even more important question is how, what, how can I be serving in this realm, especially like a small group mm-hmm. where God has gifted all of his people uh, with different spiritual gifts to build up the church and to bless the church. And a small group is, a, is a, probably one of the easiest ways to exercise your gifts. Mm-hmm. And there's so many one another commands in the New Testament and, and it's, it's probably the best place to, to live those commands out, to, to love each other, to bear one, with one another's burdens, and, and to pray for one another. And so I think that consumerism mindset can, can be a barrier for us and kind of keep us from meeting together. Absolutely. I mean, I think we often come into the church with that idea, or community group, like, what's in this for me? Yep. And, and we're participants. We're observers. Yeah. We're passive observers. Yep. Uh, maybe... engaging but more critiquing yeah and really worship and church life is not um you know it's not a spectator sport it's an active participation i mean uh, how well does it go when uh you know so your your wife or you are vacuuming and the kids are watching you know or it doesn't go over well right we need to all chip in in the same way with that same image with the body as you come to worship, what are you called to do in this yeah. small group? Are you, do you have the gift of hospitality? Can you lead? Are you welcoming? Uh, are you organized? As you come to worship, same thing. Can you welcome people? Are you a singer? Are you a musician? Are you someone who loves to be with children? Like as you come, we really need to be coming with the mindset, God, what can I do for you? How can I focus on you and the people around me rather than, you know, Dan just was off his game today. You know, that song wasn't exactly what I liked. I mean, that. Those things are probably all true, <laughs> but the issue is, oh, but am I coming to put my eyes on the Lord wow. and yes. then to serve it's others? To yeah. I mean, again, I think that's the getaway. Worship isn't a spectator sport. It is, um, it's something we're called to be actively engaged in as, as players. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for, um, just spending some time preparing for this and, and, and being a part of this conversation. You know, these are basic rhythms in the life of the church that that we're doing constantly 
um, Sunday morning worship, small groups, Bible studies, and it's I think it's helpful to just pause and um, stop and reflect. Hey, what are we doing, and why why do we put so much effort into these things? Um, so I appreciate you guys um, helping me in that discussion. So next time, um, next episode is going to be called Family in Action. I'm excited. I'm going to be interviewing Al and uh, Al and Sook Cadwell. Um, just on their experience um, going through some difficulties this year and what it's meant to be a part of a church family um, in the midst of that. So hopefully we'll see you next time, friends and family, on Redeemer Radio. Grace and peace to you all. We're taking a chance. Like